one, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and we discuss our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today my guest is Katia Woods. She's a film critic and creator of the Cup of Soul Show, a website highlighting the contributions of women, African-Americans, and Latinos in film. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I can't complain. <laughs> we have what, What's going on, I guess? <laughs> So tell us a little bit about you, uh, maybe your your background and uh, why you chose to be on the show today. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. My background really started off in covering music, mainly hip hop. This is before the internet. I know that's hard to believe there was a time before internet, but it did exist when you still had to do things in print and had to th- get things out for word of mouth. And it was really through college and meeting a group of line mind, like mine, excuse me. And, you know, sharing that experience. We didn't do it for money. And the money that we get, did get paid was very little, even yeah. for, for that back then, late eighties, early nineties. And I got into movies because I was working for a site and the person that was supposed to, I mean, I've always been into movies. Always loved movies. I'm that Star Wars generation, 77. Uh, you know, we went back and saw this movie like 10 times. And if there was just something about that that just said, this is a little different. Like, I love sci-fi. But this just really was, I think, the first movie that spoke to me that I chose. Whereas everything else was through my mom. My mom really is the connection to old cinema. You know, anything that I like prior to... 76 i can comfortably say is movies that she introduced me to but uh, as happens in our industry people don't show up it's money it's bylines whatever you have there and they were like oh can you do this movie review and i was also getting a little weary covering music i think it's a young person's game and just a lot of the craziness and the late hours and and movies is a little bit more manageable if you have a family. So I was like, I really like this. I think I want to pursue this. That was probably around five, six years ago. You know, I mean, and once in a while I get lucky. There's a couple of movies this year where you get to have the intersection of music and film. So I, I still get to write about the two things I love. So that's basically how I, how I got my start. I worked in corporate America, that all that stuff that you need to do in order to, to eat. And I'm a mom and a wife. So, you know, you still got to pay bills and we'll continue to do this on the side. Then luckily my daughter's older, so I can really go after my passions a lot easier. Just so people have kind of a taste of your movies in general, what are some of your favorite films of all time, just personally? I mean, I love Lawrence of Arabia. I'm a huge fan of David Lean. I think there is something very special. He didn't go small. He he went for everything. I think today's ideas, it may not be PC, but you got to admire a guy that was willing to dream big and just also the different talents that are highlighted in his films. You know, a lot of people know Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Alec Guinness had a whole career prior to that. You know what I mean? Right, and right. He's an Oscar winner and he's in, he's he was an esteemed actor. And a lot of that was because of his relationship with Sir David Lean. And I just really, really 
enjoy it. I'm a huge Scorsese fan. To me, I think he is the best American modern director. Again, I, I love filmmakers that aren't afraid to do what they want to do, whether it's they're not thinking about box office receipts, they're just going to do what they want to do. And I think we, I wish we had more of that, you know what I mean? But economics is such a huge part of what goes on today. But I feel like Scorsese fights for his voice. He fights for his vision. And I think that's important. I mean, at least I feel like at the end of the day, you can live with what is on there. You know, I, I'm the person that loves silence as much as taxi driver, because again, I respect his determination to do, and also the relationships between him and De Niro is, is a very special relationship. So again, very rarely, we don't have that as much. What else? Um, I like Spike because Spike is kind of like in that same, um, Spike Lee's in that same ideology you know, I saw something today that I think kind of summed it up by Jordan Peele, where he said, you have to make films for yourself. You cannot go out there worrying about if the audience is going to get it, because if you don't love it, how do you expect anybody else to love it? And I do think that's super, super important because you have to believe in your vision. And I like the evolution of Spike, you know, he's still, he's, what is it? He's in his sixties, but he's still feisty. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, he um, is. He's so New York. You know, he's another one of those guys where he's like, I'm a New York guy, and it comes through in, in all of his work. And then I also like Sidney Lumet. I'm one of my favorite. I like Serpico. I love The Verdict. I think this is, was, was it Newman's or next to one of the last performances on film for Paul Newman? And that character is so recognizable. Do you know what I mean? Like you've been stumbling along at something for so long and lo and behold, you have an opportunity to fix all of the wrongs. I really, really, I felt like he'd, I wish he would have won for this. And of course, all the other performance prior, but I felt this would have been a great win for him because the performance was so touching instead of winning him winning for the color money, which was kind of like, well, you lived long enough. So we're going to give you the tempting <laughs> trophy. But I thought that was a special. I like his interpretation of 12 angry men. And so as you can tell, I like things that are complicated and uh, not for everybody. Well, complicated is a good theme for our list today because we're going to be doing top five supervillains, which I'm really looking forward to. What prompted you to choose this as your list topic today? Because I think we've been so fixated. I mean, you know, the superhero genre, especially with the way Marvel and Disney, now Marvel being a part of Disney, has really like catapulted. But none of that works if you have a good hero you need a good villain and you know and sometimes in certain uh films the villain is so delightful that you find yourself uncharacteristically cheering for the villain so if if you get a good actor and you have a good you know a good screenplay and you understand the dynamics of it because with a comic book you get a fan base that knows these stories, that know these folks, right? And then at the same time, you have to be able to draw in people that never read the comic books, that don't know anything about these characters. But I do think the good films make it work. 
and you do have a good villain. Because, you know, again, especially if you're watching it as a kid, you want somebody to cheer for and you want somebody to dislike. I wouldn't say hate, but you definitely want somebody to dislike. And I think the best superhero films are those with great villains. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some very interesting villains. I know from my side of the list and I'm sure for yours as well. Before we get into that, though, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. I'll go ahead and start us off. I saw a brand new film. It's called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. I've been in the program now for six years. Sober for three. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. There's going to be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town. And I didn't want to set up expectations that I can't keep. Our expectations of you are very low. Spans the bites are gigantic. Same as the distance of the paw prints. It's a wolf. Or maybe it's a werewolf. No, let me just make this perfectly clear. There is no such thing as werewolves. Our killer is a guy. And I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill And we're going to bring him to justice. We have every reason to believe that this monster will show up again tonight. I won't ask you to pray with me because of the goddamn lawyers. The Wolf of Snow Hollow, it's a 2020 film. It's about a small town sheriff's office in Utah that finds itself face to face with a problem. Women are being murdered and mutilated on nights that feature full moons. And we're not sure, and they're also not sure if it's a man or a beast doing this. It could be a werewolf. So I'm going to say this up front. I'm a huge fan of Jim Cummings. His first feature is called Thunder Road, and that was one of my favorite films of 2018. But I know a lot of people aren't into his style or his writing. The way that Cummings writes dialogue, it reminds me a lot of David Mamet. So everything is really deliberately paced in a way that might seem off at first until your brain kind of sets into it like the groove on a record. And it just it feels like an awkward version of Mamet that I find hilarious. But I know some people are kind of put off by that. It's a really smart script as well. There are some things that I don't think work 100%, but it does not hold the viewer's hand. And I think that's really important in movies that, you know, lets the audience figure some things out on their own. It is a movie that will reward people for a second viewing. There's a lot of things that you won't pick up that first viewing that you will see once you have seen the whole film play out. The acting is great if you like Jim Cummings. He's the common man going ballistic as he attempts to navigate the case. And then he's got a father that has some health issues, a strained relationship with his daughter and his ex-wife, and then this mounting pressure from the community to solve the case. And then you've got a werewolf roaming the city at night. It's a really interesting film. It's also Robert Forster's last film, his last on-screen appearance, which is kind of sad. Really great to see him. But the, the role that he plays mirrors what happened to him in real life. So that was kind of sad. It is a really interesting take on bungled police work, like really shoddy investigation techniques. And that's kind of prescient today. The only criticism I have with the film is that it feels so close to Thunder Road. It almost feels like a retelling instead of something fresh, but I really like Thunder Road. So I really like this. If you want a movie with some solid horror and suspense and some really dark comedy, I would give The Wolf of Snow Hollow a shot. Uh, What's something that you've been watching? Um, I just got done seeing um, the trial of the Chicago 7. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. There's no place to be right now but in it. 
we watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. Well, they're gonna spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? It was until I saw that. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And to me, I'm like, when movies like that, it's a little tough because it's, a, it's based behind a historical backdrop, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if you... Did, if you weren't taught this in school, what the summer of 68 looked like, what the, what happened at the Democratic Convention in 1968, where the country was, which is very similar to where we are today with protests and different groups and different facets, having, you know, being against the same thing, but not necessarily approaching it in the same manner. I did think it was well acted. I thought um, Sasha Bourne was really good. You know, I know sometimes people look at him and think he's a goofball, but believe it or not, he gave a really good performance in this. But to me, I felt like this would have been because Sorkin is so wordy, you know, and, and yeah. a lot of people don't like a lot of dialogue and don't have the patience to sit through a lot of dialogue, even though this is on Netflix. And you can pause and kind of like get your snack, and come back to it, rewind and all that good business. I almost felt like this would have been served better if we if he would have done it as a limited series where you would have been had more time to introduce the different like who Abby Kaufman is. Why is he in this? Uh, who Tom Hayden is? Again, um, I feel like I'm Generation X. I feel like my generation is the last generation that kind of knew who these people were because we were born right around that. Do you know what I mean? Like we were either yeah. born right as this craziness was happening or like right after it. And whereas we didn't, I don't necessarily have a recollection of Nixon's presidency, but we felt the after effects of that. So, you know, I think all these different folks and especially them being so young and being so involved. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the people that are talking about in this film, other than Bobby Seale, are dead. So you can't even like circle back and do like interviews and say, OK, how do you connect this to this generation? But I thought it was well acted. But I do wish that sometimes when you take something that has so many players in it and so many different ideologies that you would stretch it out. Yeah, this is one that I've been looking forward to because I don't really know a whole lot about that event. Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin, like many are. So I was looking forward to seeing this. And again, I don't discourage anybody to see it, but I just, I, my answer to that always is, I wonder if you are not a person that has a point of reference. Is it talking to you or are you looking at it just as, do you, is it hitting home that these are real people? Right. That it's not some made up character. It's not fictionalized, so to say. You know what I mean? I'm sure parts of it are, but... Are you empathetic? Are you understanding what was at cost here? And I think also, do you get a sense of feeling of the craziness of the country in 68? Right. And I've heard there's a lot of a uh, lot of parallels to what we're going through right now. Oh, absolutely. You know, I did say that, not to get political. I said when Trump got elected, I said he will be our Nixon. 
<laughs> well, it's, yeah, know, it's proved like, to be a lot worse you than know that. What I mean? It's very, like, it does remind me of that. The people that love Nixon and were kind of like, not to say that everyone that supports her is conservative, but the people were very conservative, were very, like, same type of talking points. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, although we, we the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq are not as divisive to the country at this particular point as Vietnam was, but it's still something where we're like, why we're still in this mess. Like, we need to pull out. Like, we've, we've you know, it's a problem when we started this war and now we have a whole new generation that wasn't even alive fighting in this so it's it's it definitely has similar um backdrops but i do think i hope as in most of the cases with stuff like this that it prompts you to do your own reading to do your own um, research and be like okay i want to know more about these folks because they were in their 20s i don't discourage anybody to see it because i do think one thing that sarkin does is it's a strength is his dialogue and his ability to put you, to drop you into these places. The second thing that I watched this week is the complete opposite of Aaron Sorkin because it was complete trash and the dialogue was also complete trash. This is a film called The Second. Hi people, dorm is closed for the holiday season, so everybody out. When's your dad picking up? I guess when he gets here. I'm here to pick up Aaron Walton. I'm gonna need to scan your license. Do we need to do this every time? Nope, but you're not Miss Walton's regular driver. I'm impressed. You should call me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I will. Johnny! Hey! hey. Bud. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How you yeah, been? I know. Is <laughs> that your girl? No, it's Aaron Walton, Justice Walton's daughter. Like Supreme Court Justice Walton? Hold on, I'll be right back. I forgot my laptop. I'll be quick, I promise. Who's left inside? It's just the two of us for the last ones in. Did you say your driver was new? Yeah, why? Maybe we should call your dad and make sure. We gotta get you out of here. I love a good diehard in a blank film, you know, like, Die Hard on a bus, like Speed, or Die Hard in a plane. This one is basically Die Hard in Cal Poly that ends up feeling like propaganda for the Second Amendment, which is really, really weird. The plot is basically that this Delta Force veteran goes to pick up his son from school for winter break, and there's a daughter of a Supreme Court judge that goes there as well, and this judge has to make some type of landmark judgment on the Second Amendment. The director of the CIA wants the Second Amendment to go away. So he has some terrible assassins head to Cal Poly to try and snag the girl as leverage. But of course, uh, this this tortured Delta Force vet played by Ryan Phillippe is there to save the day. It is horrible in every sense. It's not a good action movie. It has ridiculous dialogue. And it basically comes across as this propaganda piece that has no charm, no wit, no heart, no continuity. And it feels just like it was made by a third grader. There's one thing that I can say about this movie that's a highlight. It's a girl named Lexi Simonson. She plays a character named Aaron, and she's pretty good as an actress, but she's just got nothing to bounce off of. Wow. This is a terrible movie that I, I would not recommend in any sense. It's not even one of those movies that's so bad that it's good. It's just so bad that it's instantly forgettable. Ooh, 
that, that's hard. You know, I said to someone, what is it Roger Ebert said? There's something good to be said about uh, every movie. And when you can't even say, well, the costumes are good, the hair, <laughs> you know, then you know that you're working with. We've, we've, we've had some stinkers this year. And this one sounds like one. It's really a movie that should not exist. It honestly feels like a script that Steven Seagal turned down for some reason. And then it was just given to Ryan Phillippe because it plays out just like one of those Seagal movies. Oh, you know what? Ryan has bills and he probably, it's been a while since we've seen him. This house isn't going to pay for itself. Yeah, I think the last time we saw him on screen was like 2011 in The Lincoln Lawyer. Yep, and he's still going to make those child support payments. So he's like, okay, I'm going (laughs) to make this film. Well, let's hope that, that he gets something better. I know that he's a capable actor. I, I used to like him a lot, especially as his turns in Way of the Gun and Cruel Intentions. So I do hope him the best, but the second was not his best. Uh, anything else you've been watching? Yes, I saw Yellow Rose. I never fit in. Never could win. This isn't the life you wanted. Though I tried and tried. It'll be better for you. This feeling don't I fell in love with country music when I was a little girl. When are you going to let me hear you play? If you're too scared to perform them songs, ain't going to do no good. I received another letter. Immigration and Customs Enforcement! We have a warrant to search! Does anyone else here reside with you? Is there anyone who lives here? No. No one resides with you? No. No other residents? Hey! which is a beautiful film by director Diane Paragas. I hope I'm saying her last name right. It stars uh, Eva Noblesada as a young Filipino girl whose mom gets deported. Ice comes and gets her. And she's here, you know, illegally, and she's trying to survive without her mother as her mother gets deported back to the Philippines. And amongst all this chaos, she also has aspirations to be a country music artist and young Eva can sing like she has the voice of an angel. She has done um, Miss Saigon and a couple other plays on Broadway. So obviously she's the real deal because you can't phone it in on, on Broadway and to give it some more authenticity in as far as on the musical side, Dale Watson plays himself. He plays like a drunk country music star that, that, that kind of has stood in his way and he helps her musically. But it's also good to see because I feel like we always think of immigration as a Latino issue and not to say that that isn't part of the conversation, but there are other groups who face similar challenges. And she just has been, you know, to see this young girl with, you know, the family is supposed to look out for her, didn't look out for her. She can't talk to her mom and she does have a, a school friend that helps and she runs into some folks that are empathetic. And what I like about this, this is really not a referendum on whether or not it's okay for you to be here illegally. It just shows you the consequences and, and kind of like shows you the anguish of why some people made those decisions and what comes with that. But it also shows you her survival skills among some of the most beautiful music that I've heard in a film this year. And I really do hope that they submit it for best original song. Uh, It would be lovely to hear her sing in whatever shape they're going to make the Academy Awards next year. But it's just, 
I said this this year, and I said some of my favorite films have come from fi women filmmakers this year. I have loved how, not to say that I wish the pandemic on anybody or wish that we were experiencing a pandemic, but the one upside is it's given more room for small films that would normally get crushed had we had normal theater releases. And even amongst all this festival talk, it's given life and light to these films. The acting is so good, and and again, the music is so real, and and it and it's also has Filipino folklore music in it. So you can tell the people, and I also say is if you let a community make a movie about an aspect of their own community, it always turns out better. Like give right. them the money. Just stand back, support, be a producer, fight with the studio. Do you know what I mean? For the marketing, all that, and let them tell the story. And and this is really, I was very delightfully surprised with this film. It's called The Yellow Rose. It's called um, Yellow Rose. And because that's what she chose as her country music name. And again, you know, you can't help but fall in love with this young girl and how she is portraying a Rose. You know what I mean? Her, her The name of the character she plays is, is Rose. And yeah, you're going to boohoo a little bit if you're a crier and you're going to be like, no, you know, <laughs> you want her to, any, like you keep saying to yourself, I swear if something happens to this girl, I'm going to be really mad. Like I need her to stand upright by the end of this film. All right, that's cool. I will keep a lookout for that one. Where can people find this, or is is it widely yeah, available? Or will out it be? on um, pay per view, and I would look like at your uh, iTunes, your Amazon, and all that. And the other thing too is support smaller films. You know, we we've we've all done it. You know, I know people think that film critics we do get to see things for free. But we also, if we love something and we miss it, we also are, I would say we purchase a lot of film, especially now when you do the math, like if there's two or three people in your household and you rent something for $9.99, whatever the thing is, right? Uh, you still come out ahead. Oh, yeah. That's kind of why I was okay with paying for Mulan because like with me and my kid and my wife, when we go to the theater, that's going to be way more than 30 bucks. So And your kid, you know, and it, I tell people this, as a parent, I'm like, I don't know what new math some of these folks are doing. It's also, you know, I don't know how old your child is, but if your child is under 14, then you have to, anything that's like a Fast and the Furious or anything that has any type of violence in it is off the books. You know, it has to be date night for you and, and, your, and your spouse. And then you got to get a sitter. So now you're talking costs unless, you know, you're yucky enough to have family do it. But it's still like you have to plan for it. And I do think the people are like, oh, it's $30 or whatever. And then I go, you might be, I said, I'm like, some of you wear sneakers that cost way more than that. And you pay for that <laughs> without flinching an eyelid. But you griping over $30 and not to mention it is we're a family of three. And I know if we go to movie tavern, by the time we order something and we leave, it's $100. Oh, yeah, easy. Whether the movie was good or not, you paid that $100. So I I get, I definitely, I think people need to understand is the, especially a movie like Mulan, it's not made for us, for the adults. It's made for a family experience. Exactly. That's what we've been watching. It's time to get to our list, top five super villains. And I was really excited for this because there are so many. So did you have any requirements for somebody to make your list? Is it just kind of your top five favorites? Were there any that you left off for any reasons? 
I'm trying to think of people that were memorable. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they were scary, but they held their own on the screen. No matter what else was going on, we wanted to know more. I think my only criteria was that they kind of made the movie for me. The hero was interesting, but the villain was also as interesting and sometimes more interesting. And I also think that some of the villains I chose for my list are villains that in ideology we might agree with. We just don't wouldn't agree with their methods, if that makes sense. And we'll kind of get to that here soon. Top five super villains. Who is number five on your list? I would have to say Lex Luthor from Superman. How do you choose to congratulate the greatest criminal mind of our time? Huh? huh? You tell me that I'm brilliant? Oh, no, no, no. That would be too obvious. I, I grant you. Charismatic. Fiendishly gifted. Uh... <laughs> Try twisted. <laughs> get away. Get away. Get away. Get away. Tell me something, Lex. Why do so many people have to die for the crime in the century? Why? You ask why? Why does the phone always ring when you're in the bathtub? Why is the most brilliantly diabolical leader of our time surrounding himself with total nincompoops? I'm back, Mr. Luthor. Yes, I was uh, just talking about you. Because it's number one was played by Gene Hackman, who is an absolutely wonderful actor. And in this interpretation of Lex Luthor, he was a li- he was a con man, right? And he didn't quite believe that Superman was real. He thought it was a shtick and he wanted in on the action. So he used more or less everything within his power. He wanted part of that fame and some of that access. Not quite. He didn't buy that Superman was a good guy and and he's stealing his act for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? He's (laughs) like, I'm going to jail and I'm getting arrested we're doing the same thing and he's being a hero. His whole thing is he wanted to expose Superman as, as a scam. And then as the series gone, he wanted to partner with others that would have him like, you know, kind of like him be the anti-hero. So like a good villain, he was all about himself. That's a great pick. And one that I haven't seen in a very long time. I was very young when I saw the first Superman film and I haven't seen it since. So I need to go back and revisit that. You know, like all superheroes, he has a uh, a bumbling sidekick, you know, because <laughs> of course he's got to be, he can't have anybody smarter than him. That's not going to work. So it's Lex Luthor from Superman. There's been a, a couple of people that played Lex Luthor, but I think everybody can agree that Gene Hackman was the best. He understood who Lex Luthor was. So my number five is actually from a film that I would consider more of a supervillain origin film than a superhero origin film and the character's name is andrew detmer from the film chronicle from 2012 okay chronicle is a found footage film of these three high school kids that discover this mysterious meteor that crashes into earth and it's all you know handheld so they go in and they see this meteor and these three kids come out with telepathic powers that they start realizing they can use And at first, it's really kind of funny. They're using it in very harmless ways. And then it goes a little more to where, you know, they're they're not doing anything crazy, but they're exercising these powers. Like, for example, one of them, uh, Michael B, played by Michael B. Jordan, moves a car with his mind from one parking spot to another. And then they wait until the lady comes out and her car is missing. And, you know, it's just on the other side of the parking lot. 
But there's one character named Andy. He's one of the friends, and he has had a really bad childhood. He is constantly bullied. The only person that really has shown him any love is his mother, who is in the hospital with stage four cancer. So he's having a really rough time in life. And there's a part where he snaps and uses his power in a way that displays way too much force. And the other two characters, the other two high school kids are, you know, super against this. And they decide, hey, we can't use our powers for this. We got to use them for good. But he does not agree. There's this thing, right? It is called the apex predator, right? And basically what this is, is the strongest animal in the ecosystem, right? And, and, and as human beings, we are, we're considered the apex predator, but only because like, like smaller animals can't feed on us because of weapons and stuff, right? The lion does not feel guilty when it kills a gazelle, right? You do not feel guilty when you squash a fly. And I think that means something. I just think that really means something. And he becomes this person who's using his powers for evil. And he's got these uh, really cool powers where he can basically crush a car with his mind. He can rob, he's trying to rob banks with these powers. And it's just a really cool origin story and a good observation of what can happen if you push somebody too far. That That's good. Because I do feel like usually that's the turning point, right? In these stories, you either have gone through something that makes you want to save the world or you've gone through something where you feel abandoned, where, you know, you're like, I'm going to make everybody hurt that abandoned me. It's a really good movie from Josh Trank. And this was the movie that got him on board for Fantastic Four, which obviously didn't work out uh, for him or for audiences. But it was a really, really great introduction to Josh Trank. And I really think he has something. All right. That was our number fives. What is up for number four for you? I'm going to say Loki from Thor. I said... not this simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Not to men like you. <laughs> there are no men like me. So you have Thor, who obviously is the hero. He is the son that is favored. He is the good-looking guy with the hammer, and everybody's like, yay, he's part of the Avengers. Loki, on the other hand, knows he doesn't have any of those things. But he embraces being the anti-hero, and he embraces the fact that he, he wants to cut corners, he is a liar, he's deceptive, he's everything that Thor is not. And I have to say, he also has a little bit of a sense of humor. Normally, 
he he gets a lot of the the witty lines do you know what i mean uh which make him i i definitely can see him more of a fun character to play oh yeah and 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 i can see why they keep him around because again he's not just evil again like all villains selfish his whole goal is to get rid of thor and he wants to be the ruler of all things and he wants to be the leader of all things he doesn't always think things through because he's very power hungry like like a lot of the villains so he doesn't think about the end and he's very short-sighted in his alliances but he does it with style and wit He's a great character, and you can see that people love him by the fact that, number one, he's in so many of the Marvel movies, unlike a lot of these supervillains who are in one and then done. And he's also, I believe, he has his own series coming to Disney Plus as well. Exactly. And that's the reason why, is like you said, is the audience knows he's no darn good, but they like him because he is charming. Like, he has that certain charm about him. And and Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki... You know, he really, he embraces it. And there's always some type of little clever thing that he says before, you know, he 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 goes in for the kill. And I think that that is what is kind of lacking, whereas all the um, villains in, in the Avengers in the Marvel are usually very serious and very intense, you know. And he's kind of like, no, I'm going to have fun with it. <laughs> he definitely brings a little bit of levity to the role. And Tom Hiddleston is a great actor. He's so good as Loki. Yeah, I can't see anybody else playing Loki. So that's why I said is like he, he Tom gets it. He gets who who this guy is. He's theatrical. He is full of himself. He he wants to be, you know, he wants to show up, do his evil stuff, but he wants to look good while he's doing it. My number four is from a movie that a lot of people don't realize, didn't realize at first was a superhero movie. And the character is Elijah Price, a.k.a. Mr. Glass, from M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. I've studied the form of comics intimately. I spent a third of my life in a hospital bed with nothing else to do but read. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. The Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoon for the sale rack. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news waiting to hear a very specific combination of words then one day i saw a news story about a train accident and i heard them there is a sole survivor and he is miraculously unharmed i almost picked up but i'm glad you did go ahead such a great performance so elijah price mr glass played by samuel l jackson uh, he's born with this rare bone disease called osteogenesis imperfecta and this basically makes your bones extremely brittle. If he is hit hard enough, he's going to break a bone. And at one point, he tells Bruce Willis's character that he has broken something like 50 to 60 bones over the course of his life. 
And because he spent so much of his childhood in bed, healing up, mending these broken bones, he's started reading comic books. He thinks of comic books as kind of a, a link to the past in that these aren't just stories made up by people, but they are kind of retellings of things that are actually true, much like hieroglyphics are. So he makes it his life goal to find the opposite of him, somebody who's indestructible or unbreakable. And the way he tries to do this, unfortunately, and this is where he becomes the supervillain, is that he starts manufacturing major disasters to see if the news will say, and there was one sole survivor that was miraculously unhurt. And of course, that search for one survivor means that he's crashing planes, he's setting off bombs, he is crashing trains, which is where he meets David Dunn. It's a very interesting and kind of meta look at superhero and supervillains because, you know, this dude runs a comic book shop. He's taking all of his cues from the comics that we all read when we were little, but he's trying to find that link to the real world and the way that this movie progresses. You know, you might not at first realize that this is a superhero supervillain tale, but by the end it is. And that's one of those conversations I had with my friends in the parking lot afterwards was, holy cow, I did not realize we were going in to watch a superhero movie. He's just a great villain. And of course, Samuel L. Jackson is great in everything, uh, but he's fantastic as Mr. Glass. Absolutely. I love how you don't know that he's a villain yet, though. It's not as the movie's ending that he lets you in on it. That does take a special type of evil when you're like, if other people get hurt, they get hurt. But I need to know who's out there. And also that ridiculous hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a very memorable look in this. And there are some really memorable scenes, too. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen this film in years, but I clearly remember the scene where he falls down the stairs and breaks some bones. Yeah, it's just a, a great movie overall. But him as a villain, fantastic. This is a good pick. I thought about that. I was like, that's a... Because he he's sneaky. He, he kind of sneaks up on you. I mean, now we know, but when you're watching it, you didn't see it coming. Okay, my number three is Thanos from the Avengers. Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths, not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a madman. And what I predicted came to pass. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. They would all cease to exist. I call that mercy. And then what? I finally rest and watch the sunrise on a grateful universe. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. Unlike Mr. Glass, who's came around the back door and Thanos is just all about up front. And he's willing to manipulate and use everything and anything in order to accomplish his goal. But again, as most villains do, because they're so focused on what they want, that they don't realize that their actions have counter-effect. And in this particular case, he got a bunch of people that normally would not have worked together to work together. Even though they're bickering amongst themselves and they're scattered off, but at the end of the day, as all superheroes do, we got to save the world. I, I just like the different arcs in it. 
I also like because although Josh Brolin is playing Thanos, he's not like a person. I love how the designers incorporate it. Like you can tell, like if you look at the facial features, that is a lot of Josh in there. Oh, yeah. And I like the voice, the tone, just the fact um, with Gamora and just how he was just manipulative and with both of those sisters yeah both of the sisters and i love how you know normally with a villain we get okay this is you started off good and something happened and then you went bad but he was bad from the store he was bad from the beginning like how he met her you know it wasn't like oh he felt sorry for her he saw our means to an end like this is gonna come in handy like i feel like if we get another avengers movie that we're not done with Thanos. Like, he might be in his little world over there, but I feel like whatever light years, whatever the years are, he would be sitting there contemplating on how he can get back at everyone. That's what I feel like he would do with his downtime, where someone else would be (laughs) like, you know what? I tried it. They all got together and they whooped me. No, I feel like he would be like plotting, sitting there and then waiting just as soon as I get that portal, I'm coming for everybody. And I think that's kind of like the nice thing about this character that he he doesn't have any redeeming qualities about himself. <laughs> Although he is just like Loki, he is kind of witty. And his ideas, I know that a lot of people kind of agree with his ideology about the world is getting too populated. Uh, of course, not his methods, but, you know, he does. Some people do say that he has a point. Yeah. And you know what? And he looks at them like we think of them like, hey, this is our group of people. The Avengers, they're going to get together and it's kind of cool how they're all like, you know, all over the world and you've got Doctor Strange and everybody, you know, and he just thinks of them as clowns. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's cute. You guys have your little club and you guys think, but you're in the way. I have something way bigger planned and I don't really have time for holding hands and props and all that stuff. And I think also it shows you that all our favorite superheroes, in this particular case, the Avengers, are vulnerable. And I think that also is important because in order for your hero to work, they have to go through trials and tribulations. They have to go to adversity. You know, the Hulk not being able to be the Hulk. And you're like, how's that going to freaking work? Like, if you can't be the Hulk, why are you here? Like, what can you contribute? I mean, obviously, he's a scientist and all this other stuff. But you're like, what? But at the same token, he knows that. That's He knows it's their Achilles heel, that they have vulnerability. His Achilles heel is he was too overambitious. He didn't think that these people would put their differences aside and work for the greater good. He is a great villain. He's obviously one that they built two of the biggest movies ever around. And I think that definitely says something. Your number three is actually a really great lead into my number three, because I believe that my number three actually opened the door for Thanos to do what he did. And that's Helmut Zemo from Captain America Civil War. Nice. I almost killed the wrong man. Hardly an innocent one. This is all he wanted see them rip each other apart. My father lived outside the city. I thought we would be safe there. My son was excited. He could see the Iron Man from the car window. I told my wife, don't worry. They're fighting in the city. 
We are miles from harm. And the dust cleared. And the screaming stopped. It took me two days until I found their bodies. My father, still holding my wife and son in his arms. And the Avengers, they went home. I knew I couldn't kill them. More powerful men than me have tried. But if I could get them to kill each other. He ran a death squad, so he's not a good guy. But during the Battle of Sokovia, this was the in Avengers Age of Ultron when they're battling against Ultron. Part of the collateral damage was Helmet Zero's or Helmet Zemo's family. And so he makes it his mission to destroy the Avengers from the inside. Obviously, he knew that the Avengers were not really the villains in this part of the war, but he still held them responsible. And he, I think he even says something like, my son was a huge Iron Man fan, a huge Avengers fan, and he really liked Iron Man, and now you're the cause of his death, essentially. Now, he doesn't have superpowers, but he is very intellectual, and he decides to tear the Avengers apart from the inside, hence the title of the film Civil War. And he does this by framing the Winter Soldier for an assassination attempt on the Black Panther's father and kills the father. And obviously that kind of set in motion other events that would not have happened if this movie had not happened. So when you talk about Thanos being that one person to be able to take the Avengers head on, they were definitely weakened by what Helmet Zemo put them through. And without what Zemo did, we might not even have the Black Panther because this is why T'Challa took over the, the throne. So, you know, who knows if that big battle in Wakanda would have even happened. There are so many different kind of nuances to the effects of Civil War, but I definitely think Helmut Zemo was a great villain, not only because of what he was able to do without superpowers, but because he had motivation that most of us can understand. You know, if something happens to our family, we might want revenge, as unsettling as that might be. So... I think that that he was a great villain and a great adversary to the Avengers. Agree with you there, which kind of leads in to my number two, which is Killmonger. When black folks started revolutions, they never had the firepower or the resources to fight their oppressors. Where was Wakanda? Hmm? You know how that ends today. We got spies embedded in every nation on Earth, already in place. I know how colonizers think, so we're going to use their own strategy against them. We're going to send vibranium weapons out to our war dogs. They'll arm oppressed people all over the world so they can finally rise up and kill those in power and their children and anyone else who takes their side. It's time they know the truth about us. We're warriors. The world's going to start over, and this time we're on top. The sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. See, great minds think alike. Um, <laughs> I like Killmonger because with him, you see where it happens. He was a kid, an event that happened, uh, once again, an alleged hero influenced the villain. So for him, you know, losing his father became now this obsession, like you said, 
uh, with Helmut, I'm going to go after the people that are responsible. And he has no qualms about it. Like he has no problems getting rid of everybody that's in his way. And it's kind of like he's been patiently plotting, you know, uh, the death of T'Chaka. Like he's like, okay, these are things that are working in my favor. And also he's very dramatic. His entrance, like when he meets T'Challa and, and the queen and mother and everything like that, you know, he's very like, I don't really care. He's not with the formalities. <laughs> he's like, I'm dropping in to get what's mine. And also, I love the costuming. I think, you know, with a lot of times, like, you can have a great actor, but what helps the actor gets into the mindset is also the great costuming. I love the fact, you know, that he had this, this like, he tattooed himself every time he killed someone. You know, also the, the physical, because he had just done, I believe he got out of doing Creed, and then he went to a physical transformation to do Killmonger, which is power to him because you know i know he was like not eating or whatever but um but also you know the fact that uh he understood that this character it was either it it couldn't be no in between because i know there's been some talk about bringing him back and he's like no he can't he's not that type of guy he commits full-heartedly he believed in what he was doing his approach was wrong but he believed what he was doing and i love the way they set it up because when we initial found out about black panther we thought claw was going to be the villain we didn't see killmonger necessarily being the actual villain he was pulling the strings behind this and i do like the finality of it you know what i mean he was like i'm either I'm going to roll the dice. That's He's a great villain also because just kind of like Thanos and some of the other ones we talked about, we might agree with his ideology. We just wouldn't agree with his methods. Absolutely. Like he, in his mind, he's like, well, you guys didn't follow the rules. You guys, like he didn't know that they weren't in on what T'Chaka did. But in his mind, he's like, you guys all covered something up and you benefited from it. So clearly, clearly, what's the point? Why should I follow the rules when you guys aren't following the rules? I think one of his quotes is something like, there's 2 billion people just like us that are oppressed. Why wouldn't you use the technology that you have to help them? Which I think everybody would agree would be a good idea. Of course, he wants to go about it in a way that most of us wouldn't go about it by just arming them all so they can kill anybody that's in their way. But his ideology is solid. It's just the way he goes about it. But like we talked about a lot of these villains, it's what happened in his younger life that informed his road, you know, again, whereas with T'Challa, it is the opposite. So that's why you have these two men who are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, my number two is one of my favorite villains of all time and one that is, I guess it's the only one on my list to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And that's the Joker from The Dark Knight, played by Heath Ledger. Uh, and I thought my jokes were bad. Give me one reason why I shouldn't have my boy here pull your head off. How about a magic trick? I'm gonna make this pencil disappear. It's... it's gone. Oh, and by the way, the suit, it wasn't cheap. You ought to know, you bought it. Shit. I want to hear proposition. 
Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, your balls drop off? Hmm? You see, a guy like me... Freak. <laughs> a guy like me... Look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Fantastic villain, and I think one of the most talked about villains in any comic book movie. He is simply an agent of chaos, and I think that's one cool thing about the Joker is that we don't know his backstory. We don't know what turned him into the Joker because he gives us so many different reasons for his becoming the Joker that he's kind of an unreliable narrator. And he's not in it for traditional villainous reasons. He doesn't want to take over the world. He doesn't want to get rich. He's strictly in it for the chaos. He's a villain that directly attacks Batman and he tries to affect his sense of right and wrong. He then turns his focus to the city to see if the city can act on what's what they think is right and wrong. He uses very unconventional methods of doing this. And just the way he's played by Heath Ledger is amazing. I remember the early days of when he was announced as being the Joker and people were so upset that Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker. How can this guy put on a good performance as the Joker? And now he is the Joker. It's like anybody who wants to play the Joker from here on out has to compete with Heath Ledger's Joker, and it's just going to be impossible. He's just such a great villain from The Dark Knight. Very interesting. I think we're like sharing a brain because he's my number one. And oh, the perfect. And the is, is because he was so good as the Joker. It's all, and, and, and I have to really be honest, I love the Christopher Nolan interpretation of Batman. I thought finally somebody got who Batman was, which is a loner. I thought the movies before that, he'd gotten a little bit like jokey, you know, and, and he was very, very silly. Light. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, he speaking again of the things we discussed, he as the hero understands that he has made this deal. Um, part of the deal that he made was to live a very solitary life in order for him to coexist to have these dual personalities. He can't have love. He can't because all of those things make him vulnerable. He understands that he has made this choice and it's not an easy choice. And I love the fact that Vale was able to, I think the problem for me for was always like the actor had to be able to be Bruce Wayne, the yeah. playboy millionaire, the brash guy. And at the same time, be the anti-hero because to me batman unlike superman is more of like an anti-hero uh he is self-made he wasn't born into being a hero like like superman like he was born with the gifts where batman had to earn a crit he had to learn the gifts for lack of a better word and i felt like christian bale embodied a lot of that that constant internal anguish of how to live this life and to try to make Gotham better 
you know, into a like in a way also avenge his parents or to prevent anybody else to go through the pain. Whereas in but in this particular case, you have the direct opposite in the Joker, who is just like, I don't care about anything. I'm going to do this because this is fun and this feels right. It's little sayings like, you know, he says in their last moments, people show you who they really are amongst that ridiculous makeup and him wearing the <laughs> nurse's outfit. But there's a guy, he he wants you to think he's crazy, but he's not crazy. Exactly. Like he knows all of Bruce Wayne batman's button it's almost like he knows he's bruce wayne and he is like constantly pushing and pushing and push he doesn't have that line that a lot of people have and then i think it's 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 fascinating and i love the fact that he played him like that where he's like he doesn't have any stoppage whatever it takes to make you as uncomfortable uh you know there's this scene where he is like you know, he's really reveling him up. And Batman is like, I had enough of this guy. And he grabs him by the collar. And somebody else may have gotten frightened. But it's almost like, uh, not to sound sexual, but it's almost like he gets turned on. The more upset he gets, he's like, yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because he wants to pervert his, exactly. uh, Do his you know feeling what I mean? of right and wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And to him, it's a game from Batman. It's him trying to stop an evil guy. For the Joker, this interpretation from Heath Ledger. It's a game to him. It's almost like a dance and a game of cat and mouse. And in this particular case, Batman is the mouse. And he just is toying with him and just protruding all of these things, uh, which I think is why he stays with us. And it's a shame. And, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, and you can't really go back in time, but you would have loved to see then maybe te- I think they would have made an I think Nolan and them would have made another one if they had oh, an opportunity yeah. to explore that relationship a little bit more. And he's he and again, I love when an actor is like, if I'm going to be playing somebody bad, I'm going to have fun with it and I'm going to go all the way commit to it. And that's what makes him like, I think, so memorable because he jumped in with both feet as much and as much as I love Christian Bale. That particular episode, we are watching for. We may have came for for Christian, but we stayed because of Heath Ledger. So my number one, originally I was going to go with Killmonger, but you had him and we talked about him already. And there's not much more I can say about Killmonger. So I'm going to throw kind of a bonus pick on my number one. It's a character named Homelander from the TV show, The Boys. I know that some of you are a little upset by that video online of me stopping the terrorists. And I just want you to know that I understand. I'm upset too. I mean, come on, guys. Nobody wants innocent people to get hurt. Of course not. But sadly, well, the bad guys, they don't think like us. And so, sometimes, well, these things just happen. Wait, this happened now, before? How many times? Well, no, hold, hold on, guys. My point is, we all have the same goals, don't we? To keep our country safe. So American lives are the only ones worth protecting? Of course not. But if you've served with our amazing soldiers like I have, you would know that freedom comes at a price. You don't speak for us. Yeah, you don't speak for us. Homelander 
is an example of what if Superman existed in real life, but he wasn't a Boy Scout. So he comes off as this really, I'm for America and I'm here to keep you protected. The ultimate God-fearing patriot, but he has all these dark secrets, um, starting with his need to be loved by everybody. And it is just an amazing performance from the actor Anthony Starr, who I only knew from his appearance on a TV show called Banshee. And I had no idea he had these acting chops in him as Homelander. He is equal parts hilarious and terrifying. And when he goes to extremes with these powers that he has, it is, it's horrifying. He does not care about humanity. All he cares about is how he's viewed in the eyes of humanity. So he has no problems with collateral damage. He is very narcissistic. He's psychotic. And the, the cool thing about this show and this character is that even though he is the worst person in this world that they've crafted, there are still moments where you kind of feel empathy for him because of issues that you'll find out in season two. But there are scenes where it's like, okay, I, I kind of feel bad for this guy. But then you remember all these things that he's done and, and it's tough again to feel bad for him for very long. But it is an amazing character that they've crafted on this show, The Boys. And I cannot wait to keep seeing more of Anthony Starr as Homelander. Such a good character. And I think that's a great example, right? Whereas I love how you compared him to Superman because Superman got in and he never thought about his image. He never thought about, is, is, is my cape looking great? Is my hair good? You know, are you getting me in my good angle? Is this, when is this interview going to appear? And Homelander is vain. He's, he's all oh, those yeah. things. He needs to be the center of attention. He doesn't, you know, all of those things that, that are, and he, he gets challenged in season two a lot. You know what I mean? A lot of the stuff that, a lot of his thunder the stuff that he pretty much lives for, it, yep. it's taken away from him. That's one thing I do love about the show. It kind of like in a tongue in cheek type of way makes fun of that. And, oh, yeah. 100%. And it takes the mirror and says, you know, you know, all this stuff about your favorite hero is all an act. They're just they're not as nice and good as you think they are. And, and again, he's great because it, it, as an actor, he gets it. He gets who this guy is. He's in on the joke. It's a great show. And, and I'm glad, you know what? Like season one, people were talking about it. Of course, we were talking about it. Now with season two, I feel like more people are talking about it. There's a ton of great avenues in the show. This is just one character of many in the show, but he's kind of the main foil for our heroes. And he'll stop at nothing to, to get what he wants. And, you know, he just straight up says, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Exactly, because he's like, who's going to who's gonna stop me? I'm the superhero. People admire me. People think I'm great. So if I tell them that I was justified in me doing it, they're going to believe me. Thanks for coming on. You had a great list. I think that everybody has some, some major villains to go see for the first time or revisit. Um, it's time to plug your stuff. So tell us about where we can find what you have to offer online and, and what do you want to plug here that people should take a look at? Today for BuzzFeed, I dropped an article that I wrote about my daughter and just being Afro-Latina for BuzzFeed. And you can see that under, you can follow me on Twitter at Katia, 
K-A-T-H-I-A underscore Woods. And it's pinned there. It's a personal essay and it's I really am proud of it because it's a little bit more personal. As far as my movie stuff, you can go to cupofsoulshow.com and you can see like all the stuff that we've been covering and, and we have some new we have some other voices, it's not just my voice. And it's always nice when you can bring in other voices and different points of view, which I think is better and I think it makes you a better a better writer and it's just overall a, a better person when you discuss things and you hear other people's points of views. And, and like we're having this discussion right now about superheroes where we're pointing things out to one another. We're like, wow, yeah. Oh, I get it. And that type <laughs> of thing. Uh, I'm very happy that we're seeing, you know, as, as we've been talking this year, you know, we were all at, as I like to call it on the mountain, in that crazy cold and shuffling back and forth at Sundance. And I was thinking like, what is going on going to happen with a lot of these movies? So as we get into what's going to be an extra long award season, I'm happy to say that we are getting, a lot of these movies are getting their just due. Don't get discouraged. I know people are worried about movie theaters. We will be back at the movies, but we got to do it safely. Well, go check out cupofsoulshow.com. And it's got links to all of the different social medias there, but they've got reviews, trailers, and all kinds of cool stuff to check out. So definitely worth giving it a shot. If you want to be a guest on this show, the Force 5 podcast, the only real requirement is that you love movies and want to talk about them. So if you have a top five list that you want to tackle, email me at force5podcast.gmail.com or head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5 related stuff. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and watch some movies about supervillains. 